All right. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony with the Pop Health Show, and the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. And I'm really enthused and excited to have on the show today Dr. Louis Pagano. So Dr. Pagano is the Director of Psychological Health for Shriver Space Force Base. And uh, I won't elaborate much past that. I don't want to steal his thunder, but uh, Dr. Pagano has done some really great things in psychology and health. He's doing some great things. He's serving us a, a great foundation for the future. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Dr. Pagano. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, um, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you for making time to do this uh, with me and, you know, to, to get us started, you know, origin stories are, are really important. What we've done in the past, you know, kind of shapes uh, our focus. Uh, but sure. and on, along those lines, tell me a little bit about where you got started or what led you to become the person you are today. Absolutely. Well, uh, the first time I really became interested in psychology was when I was a uh, a kid, actually. So my, my mom did some college, psychology in college, and that got me interested in it. Um, you know, so I went through college majoring in psychology. Um, and I, I always enjoyed the field because, you know, people, humans, society, it's, it's all kind of one big puzzle. And there's lots of different ways we can help and intervene and just, um, you know, make the population healthier. And psychology, I think, is a field that's uniquely poised to help intervene. I mean, there's a lot of uh, psychology, so to say, in what we do in our everyday lives, from how we invest our money to how we think about healthcare, uh, how we relate to other people. So uh, psychology for me as a career is something that's always going to remain interesting um, and a, a really cool puzzle that I have a, um, enough fortune to be able to continue to work on and solve. Nice, nice. No, that's that's great to Great to, great to hear, you know, kind of where, where it all started and that passion, you know, it's just kind of like in you and to, to, to focus in this area. I guess along right. those lines, I'd love to hear a little bit, uh, Dr. Pagano, about, you know, this intersection of, of military and psychology is, is fascinating, right? To, to, to keep people and soldiers in the military, military individuals in a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, I've, something I've always been fascinated about about but tell me a little bit about you know what has your passions today in health you know, there's so much has changed and probably evolved in the field of psychology i just love for you to, to to talk a little bit about um your work at a high level and some of the topics that you're most passionate about uh today absolutely so the one thing that's really got me excited about um in uh, healthcare, you know for the military is uh, what we call the the triple aim framework. So this was mm. something that was developed by the Institute for Healthcare uh, back around 2007, and the intention was to really help healthcare systems optimize performance, reducing costs for the military, improving readiness of our airmen, our soldiers, sailors, and absolutely improving patient care through a variety of interventions and uh, different metrics. So the way that uh, behavioral health intersects with this uh, triple aim is through what's called uh, primary care behavioral health. Mm. And primary care behavioral health is where we embed or integrate uh, licensed clinical social workers or psychologists like myself into primary care services. That way we're able to facilitate communication, shared decision making between the patient, 
the primary care providers, other providers, and the patient's family. Really putting a lot of emphasis on the primary care world is a very strong, robust place where behavioral health can um, make a place for itself. So um, the reason why we're looking at primary care as a place to embed some of our clinical social workers and psychologists is because for a lot of folks, there's some resistance to seeking mental health or behavioral health. Mm -hmm. About 67% of people with a behavioral health condition don't get treatment. And 30 to 50% of referrals from primary care managers out into the community don't make it to their first appointment. Mm. There's limited health, uh, mental health and behavioral health type resources, especially in rural communities. And about 50% of primary care managers, or what you might call a family health doctor, sorry, I shouldn't be using um, <laughs> all mm -hmm. the, the acronyms I might use at work. So the <laughs> primary care manager is like your family doctor. Right. Um, yeah, so sometimes only 50% of primary care managers can get good quality behavioral health referrals. So there's a problem here, right? We have people who have concerns, depression, anxiety, trauma, um, but access to care and resources aren't always available. Um, but what we do know is 80% of those with a behavioral health condition do visit their family health doctor at least once a year. And, you know, approximately 50% of all behavioral health issues are treated in primary care in the first place. 48% approximately of um, psychiatric medication, like antidepressants, for example, are provided by your family health doctor. So for most people around the country, the primary care clinic has become kind of like the de facto mental health clinic. Mm. So it's the perfect place to get behavioral health providers um, embedded into. Let's not wait for people to come to mental health clinics. Let's go to where the business is. Let's go to where people feel most comfortable. People feel most comfortable going to their family health doctor, the person that treats their um, treats their kids, treats their spouse, treats their family members and relatives. Um, we can kind of get some of that trust and that buy-in from the primary care world and really deliver some high-quality interventions. Um, and then because our interventions at the primary care level, kind of like a family health doctor, are a little bit shorter. Say, you know, uh, if you look at a, a, a typical mental health appointment in a specialty care clinic, you know, when you go see a therapist, the appointment might be 60 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. But in primary care, we do brief, focused interventions that are maybe 20 to 30 minutes. So we're essentially doubling our ability to see patients throughout the day, and we're getting in early. We're mm. going to get to see patients early and do some prevention. A lot of mental health care these days is reactive, right? Something happened. I feel this way because something bad happened. Um, there's a trauma or a big stressor in my life. Or I have all these perpetuating factors that are already in place um, that I'm having trouble addressing. Getting in early at the ground level with your family health doctor is a really great population health intervention. Mm, I, I love it, Dr. Pagano. And uh, tell me a little bit, I'd love to unpack that. It feels like there's two pieces there, right? Um, my first sure. question is, is how much is this happening today? Is, there, is the market realizing this opportunity to front load mental health services at the primary care end? Is this happening at the rate that it should, right? Now, since this kind of awareness is, is, is coming more and more apparent, the data's coming in. So is, is it happening at the rate that we need it to? And the second question is, um, mm -hmm. if it's not, you know, what, do you, what are some pieces that need to happen at a micro, macro level or 
you know, legislation level or if it's just a, a services level. I was just kind of curious on the physics of, uh, of, of making this uh, best practice a reality. Sure. So I can speak more to what um, the DOD is doing in the federal, mm-hmm. uh, federal health care, um, mm-hmm. given my, my role in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, back in September 2009, um, the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense issued the policy memorandum that implemented this primary care patient-centered medical home model where behavioral health providers um, started to get embedded. So, um, and then a couple years later in 2012 and 13, the Department of Defense started to fund and fully integrate behavioral health positions uh, across the DOD. So not just the Air Force, but the Army and Navy as well. So I'm very pleased and happy to say that um, the, the DOD has done really a very fantastic job of funding these really needed and integral behavioral health positions um, across the different installations. Um, as far as the civilian world goes, uh, I'm a little less confident about how they're doing it and what they're doing. It. Um, but I know a lot of the scientific literature that comes out discussing and promoting um, behavioral health primary care interventions and behavioral health primary care clinics um, the, the research is very strong. I know there's a big interest for it in the civilian world. Um, so I know it's happening. I just can't speak to you know, mm-hmm. what really needs to take place to make it even bigger. Um, so. No, that's, this is great, Dr. Bagana. And um, I'd love to hear more. Um, I'd love to hear more on some of these. And, and you know, how do you, how do you look at uh, mental health services at, uh, on that, on that front loaded perspective, you know, and how, you know, from a military perspective or Air Force perspective, how how does that differ for the different, you know, everyone's everyone could be plagued with, um, you know, different times in their life with depression or anxiety. Some of it may be persistent more than others. I can imagine the military element might have um, some integrated pieces of, uh, of more or more intricate levels of, of PTSD and um, or mental health issues related to traumatic events maybe experienced in the military or in battle and things like that. But how do the services and treatments uh, differ um, or how should we think about it from a civilian versus military you know, perspective? Sure. So um, when it comes to behavioral health care, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we really try to do is ground ourselves in um, the science, mm-hmm. the behavioral health science. So strong behavioral and cognitive interventions are something that should be consistent across the board, whether you're in the civilian world or uh, a military world. Um, good science, good clinical practice, good clinical decision-making, um, building good relationships with your primary care manager, those things should be pretty consistent across the board. I think that's the key to good population health, whether you're in or outside of the military. Um, the unique part about the military is that we always need to have an eye on readiness. So can we do our jobs well? Can we deploy if needed? Um, so that is an interesting uh, piece that gets factored into what we do as uh, military providers, you know, working in the military treatment facilities. Um, when it comes to primary care behavioral health, um, oftentimes we're treating things at, I guess, a lower level. We're trying to do preventative work. Um, and if we come across things that become 
um, more serious or require more in-depth treatment because the primary care behavioral health world is uh, prevention, education-based, time-limited. Mm-hmm. We know our left and right lanes. We know when, hey, there's a, there's a bigger readiness concern here potentially, and let's get them hooked up with even more support. And um, I know that the, the government has done an amazing job in investing in different types of mental health support. Um, so installations often have full mental health clinics with mental health, alcohol and drugs, uh, family support systems built in. So um, when things get a little bit too heavy in the primary care clinic or it's beyond our capacity, we have those strong relationships with those bigger mental health clinics to make sure that those people get um, sent over there and get cared for. Mm. And I think that re- really speaks to this idea of prevention and detection, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone wants to see their primary care provider. They have to see their primary care provider in the military, you know, for, for certain things. Um, that's our opportunity to talk to the primary care manager, the family health doctor, get those referrals in early and um, just get introduced as a part of the team. Mm. Um, you know, your primary care manager, family health doctor isn't referring you to a, a mental health provider per se. In the primary care world, uh, a psychologist or social worker is just a consultant. They're a member of the team. Um, and kind of taking that attitude or approach uh, really helps reduce uh, stigma associated with seeking mental health care. It prevents gaps in care. It prevents under-treatment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from a population perspective, it really reduces costs for both patients and military medical facilities as well. Dr. Mm. Uh, I love it. Um, no, thank you for that. And, and, and so along those lines of prevention, early detection, you know, the front loading and on the primary care side for mental health services, being in this right. space for a while, what are some other differences that make the difference when it comes to mental health? Um, you know, maybe when, when you're seeing someone or some patterns that you're seeing when someone has mental health issues or behavioral health, what are some important things, um, you know, after that detection period, after that identification? Um, obviously, we're not, I'm not looking for behavioral therapy, mental behavioral therapy sure. on this on this episode, but what are some things that you've seen have really made a difference in caring for someone and helping someone get better uh, in their specific, uh, you know, scenario? Great question. So, right, if, if you or someone else notices that, a, you know, friend, family member, or coworkers, um, you know, not themselves, changing their habits or patterns, um, you know, that's a great time to intervene. Um, friends, family members, coworkers are often going to be the first people that notice a change in their pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people believe, you know, it's, uh, you shouldn't be asking people about personal stuff. If, if you ask them about personal things, that'll just make them even more upset. Um, you know, most people are actually quite relieved when someone offers to help or asks if they're doing okay. So, you know, if, if you notice something's changed or something's different, um, just try to get your friend or family members buy-in. Say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of resources out there for you, um, especially in the, the military community. We have a ton of resources that are uh, on the books in your medical record. We have some resources where you can get counseling off the books. Um, there's lots of different opportunities. Um, but just early detection, early intervention, and then just knowing how to do that warm handoff to a primary care manager, a behavioral health provider um, embedded in the primary care clinic, or even a mental health um, care facility itself. I love it. I love it, Dr. Pagano. And 
Um, so that's very super helpful. I really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners will, will, uh, will appreciate this as well. Um, the work that you're doing, the work you've done, you know, sets ourselves up for the future in a, in a, in a pretty, you know, good way. And, you know, it's always fascinating to hear someone that works in this field, but tell me a little bit about the future. Where do you see mental health going? Where do you see behavioral health going and, and, uh, you know, care for people with behavioral health issues? I just love to hear about your philosophy, uh, of, of, of health in the future or said another way, um, you know, the, the future according to Dr. Pagano or some things that, sure. you know, not looking for Nostradamus predictions, but I, you know, tell me a little yeah. bit about how you view the future. Well, one thing I, I've been paying attention to that's got me really excited is um, something the Joint Commission drew attention to uh, back in uh, around October 2016. So the Joint Commission is an accrediting body um, for uh, hospitals, treatment facilities, and things like that. So this is really cool because the Joint Commission um, took a big interest in uh, cognitive psychology. Mm. So um, uh, when we have uh, different events, medical events, sentinel events, like when someone gets harmed or something goes wrong during a medical procedure, we have to report that stuff um, up to the Joint Commission. We have to report it um, to other bodies just so we can keep ourselves in check and learn from it. Mm -hmm. And um, what we've learned is that uh, Cognitive biases, so errors in thinking or uh, filters in thinking that are unhelpful, have been identified as contributors to a number of um, sentinel events from unintended retention of foreign objects, wrong site surgeries, patient falls, delays in treatment. Um, this is really cool because they're paying attention to all this cognitive science that's been done for decades. So um, I think that's well, hopefully a part of the future is really not just understanding, hey, what types of surgeries are we doing? What types of behavioral health interventions are we doing? But how are the providers thinking about what they deliver and how they deliver? What mm -hmm. surgery they're performing, how they're performing it, um, how they're diagnosing people. Um, there's a lot of cognition that goes into those very uh, in-depth, complicated processes and procedures sometimes. And... Um, now we finally have the the support to really do some of those things and look into those cognitive biases. Um, I have a couple of examples if you think that would be helpful. I can yeah, would love that. Yeah, so, love some examples. Yeah, so some common cognitive errors that we see in healthcare, um, one is called diagnostic momentum. So once a label or a diagnosis has been assigned, momentum takes hold and it reduces our ability to consider alternate uh, other alternatives, which is bad. You know, this, this could affect future workups of patients and it can affect how handoffs to other providers are framed. So that, that's one thing. Uh, another big one that is common in the kind of cognitive literature is uh, the availability bias. So judging the likelihood of a diagnosis uh, based on the ease with which um, examples can be retrieved. So things that are more familiar, common, recent, or, or memorable. So, for example, we might diagnose a patient on frequently seen conditions, or like the like the flu, but we might not consider less common diagnoses just because it's harder to recall. It's less memorable. So there's there's lots of different things that are going in and how we make healthcare decisions, and I think really honing in on how providers think about the care they're giving the population is going to be a really cool thing to be paying attention to moving forward in the future. I love it. I love it, Dr. Pagano. Yeah, no, I appreciate that illustration example. 
Um, and this is, uh, this is just great to see your focus on, on this space, uh, the work you're doing, the work you're, work you're doing for the Air Force. And, uh, you know, obviously now Space Force is, uh, you know, uh, a thing now and that you're focused in this area right. and that's phenomenal to see. And obviously, probably it'll become more emerging how psychology, you know, for Air Force differs than Space Force. I could only imagine. I know myself the thought of, of flying is one thing, but then the thought of flying in space is another. Uh, right. And we can come, come across in that. And so I'm sure that's developing. So we'd love to have you back on the show as as things develop more and, and um, you know, this, this body of work that you, you're doing uh, deepens even more. Um, Dr. Pagano, I, I promise my last question for you is uh, if our listeners, sure. if our listeners would like to get a hold of you and uh, say hi or either directly or indirectly on social media, what would be a good way to, to do so? Well, I think the best way would probably be through um, kind of like how we connected um, through sure. LinkedIn. So they can contact me through LinkedIn, um, has some contact information, um, has a, a list of my scholarly works, some other things I've done. So um, that's a great way to get a hold of me. And I'm, I'm happy to communicate with folks that have questions. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Pagano, this was, this was great. It was really phenomenal hearing about, you know, your story, your background, how you brought those passions into the present. Um, and then more importantly, you know, how your work and, and your focus in this area is setting yourself up and, and others and those that you help up for a, for a great healthy future and one, one you know, grounded in healing and, and, and growth uh, on, a, on a mental basis, but obviously on an overall health basis, just because, you know, um, the spirit, the mind, you know, it's, it's what's behind the body, right? And so, um, mm -hmm. so, so great to have you on, Dr. Pagano. Um, this, was, this was great. And to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. This show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Um, Dr. Pagano, this was great. Thank you so much. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on, and um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You, you too.